picture of Jesus in the manger, was it? It was regular folks, shepherds, people like you, people like me. Tells us that, you know, if you do it to the least of these, my brother, and Jesus said, you do it to me. You know, I'm, I'm glad that when the angels started shouting out of heaven, they were talking to the least of these. You know, the shepherds were, you know, they're a noble uh, vocation, of course, and they're very necessary. But it wasn't your prestige job, right? I was out there and by yourself and, and, uh, Few of you gathered and take care of the animals. And, but God invites those who are <clears throat> poor in spirit to be rewarded by Him. And poor in spirit doesn't mean you're sad. It means you may not have everything everything else, everybody else has. You're humble. And sometimes we're humbled by our station in life. And others want to lord that over us. But I'm glad God didn't distinguish between the low and the high, but he started with the shepherds. Now the wise men did show up later, and so we get the wise people in here too, the three wise guys, they call them. And the key word that we would focus on this week in in what we call Advent season is the word joy. Part of the joy of knowing Christ is sharing Christ with others. If you've ever shared Christ with somebody else and seen it affect their lives, you know what that joy is like. It's addicting. It's addicting to see people come to Christ and to realize who he is for themselves. (coughs) Every year when we come to the season, I think that there's just new parallels. Some of the old parallels that that we begin to examine again and again. Uh, One would be Jesus being born in the manger. We say, what's significant? There's a lot of significance there. When John the Baptist was going ahead of Jesus, what was he saying? Behold, the Lamb of God. It's appropriate for a lamb to be born in a manger. And I can imagine that as the angels were announcing to the shepherds, and and let's fast forward through the story. We'll go and read it in just a moment. But we fast forward through it. They made their way to Bethlehem. They, They verified the truth. They saw what the angels had told them as it was. And they're coming back to their flocks later and they're looking at their little lambs and they're saying, hey, I think you've just been replaced. Why? Because the sacrifice had just arrived. They're raising lambs for sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. But the Lamb of God had just arrived, born in a manger. Wouldn't be any need for further sacrifice after the Lamb of God gave his life for us. Shepherds receive the news first. They respond with just sincere and simple obedience. Let's go see. Let's go check it out. How about the parallel of the clothes that Jesus was wrapped in? and Swaddling cloth, they call it. The same cloth that is used for burying people. Very similar. Was wrapping. It was a prophetic indication that Jesus was born on a mission, that he was born to die. You know, the Father in heaven didn't miss much at all, did he, in sending his news to us. 
and giving us insight. It's there to be seen. It's there to be had. And every year it's good to go back and rehearse some of those points and say, I remember now the Lamb of God. I remember wrapped in swaddling cloth. Cute little baby like these here right on the front. But it would be a different kind of feeling, wouldn't it, Mike, if we knew that they were born for a mission to die. Not just we're all going to die. We know that. We're all going to either die or be transformed in an instant when Jesus returns. But to look at your child and say, this one's going to die early on a mission. That's Jesus. Luke chapter 2, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. Try and picture that, would you? You know, just read the words and let it go by. You're the shepherd. You're in the field. You're doing what you normally do, and the lights come on. I mean, it's dark out there. You ever been in one of these third world countries where you get a little further away from town and there is no light? I remember when we were in Cuatro Vientos in Mexico, first time we went out, and Pastor Aaron De La Borda's driving us out to Cuatro Vientos. I said, why is it called Cuatro Vientos? He says, you'll see. <laughs> it's better experienced. It means four winds. And when you get up on this little knoll where this village was built, literally the wind comes from every direction. So they called it Cuatro Vientos. He says, we have to get out here and we have to get, get going because we have to get this service on and done before dark. I said, okay, why? He says, because there's no electricity anywhere within miles of this place. We're leaving Mexico City and the lights are getting further and further away and we drive, you know. And so here we are preaching away. We didn't get there early enough. They had a little light bulb and they somebody fired up a generator and we had this one light bulb going in the whole building. And we're preaching under a light bulb and... And the generator runs out of gas. And it is so dark that I'm doing this thing with my hand in front of my face and I can't see my fingers go by. And they're saying things like, don't anybody move. <laughs> One of the taxi guys, man, you, if you're ever in Mexico, be sure to get a friend that's a taxi guy because they know everything. He runs out of the building siphons gas out of a taxi, puts it in the generator. We're back up and preaching. And I realized, it's dark out there. Okay, so you're a shepherd. You're out there with your sheep. Sun goes down, it's dark, and God's generator comes on. Would you just go, wow, this is a nice touch. <laughs> and he's saying, what is this? They were terrified. Verse 10, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Man, I, I would love to see this visually. An angelic choir, lights on, supernatural presence of God. And they're saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. You know, there are various versions of the Bible. Uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Peace on earth to men of goodwill, one says. This version on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, now look, the lights just went out. Right? Now it's the boys in the campfire and sheep and the hand in front of the face saying, it's dark out here, let's go see. Let's go see. Let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They verified the truth. They verified the supernatural announcement. They they went downtown to Bethlehem and got it for themselves. You and I have done something similar. We have had a moment when someone spoke to us and said, you need Christ as your Savior. The Savior's been born and you need Him. And we've responded to that and said, and now that we know, we should have a similar kind of activity going on in our life where we go back and we just tell everybody. It's real. Jesus is real. He's real in my life. It's joyful. It's good news. This isn't bad news. This is good news. A Savior's been born. We sang the song this morning that was written 250 years ago by Isaac Watts, Joy to the World. It's based on Psalm 98 in the Scriptures. I'll read it from the New King James Version. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. This song is sung all over the world at this season. In all kinds of languages. And the interesting thing is it's sung by people who believe and people who don't believe. Try it out next time you're around a group of people in a store or something. Just start humming it. And see who you can infect. You ever, do you play that game at your house? Gotcha. Where somebody's whistling or singing and the next person picks it up without realizing it. 
And now they're off singing, and we always go, oh, gotcha. You don't realize it. Somebody infects you. This is a great song to infect people with if they know the words. And if we look at the words of this song, we'll realize Isaac Watts was not writing about the first coming of Jesus. He was writing toward the millennial reign of Christ, the second coming, the second advent, when Jesus would come and set up his kingdom. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. I get a picture in my mind of a great valley surrounded by these natural elements. And as they burst out in song to worship him, it travels across the valley, hits the other side, and echoes back. And it just repeats the sounding joy. This reverberation of worship to God. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Talking about joy this morning. Joy comes with good news. Let me try a few on you. How about this? Overstock.com has 90% off and free shipping. Does that do it for you? How about joy that comes with this? I found the perfect gift for fill in the blank. Or everything's open late so I can go after work. That's joy. Here's some that you'll like. My friends are coming for Christmas. My family's coming for Christmas. Joy. Or maybe my family's not coming for Christmas. <laughs> Joy. A couple years ago, this was Peggy's joy for the moment. He finally put the lights up before it was too late. They've been up ever since. I just plug them in when it comes around, you know. All that kind of joy, if we're thinking of that as joy, it's only good till the December 25th or maybe the after Christmas sale. It's temporal and it's pressing. You got to have joy quick. Hurry up, get on it. If you're going to get any, you better act quickly because the sale's going to end. But what is joy really? See, that's happiness we're talking about. That's temporal, fleeting. Joy is something deeper, more consistent. It's, we think of it as something that has duration. Lasting, it's solid, it's not airy. You know people that are living examples of joy. Oh yeah, it seems like it doesn't matter. Without, without any fanfare or drawing attention to themselves, they just simply kind of honestly are always consistent. And they seem to have a joy about their life. You're thinking of somebody like that? Circumstances don't change their demeanor. Life just kind of hurls its worst at them and that they retain their posture in the face of it all. I was driving here this morning, and I, I pointed out to Peggy, did you see the trees and the telephone poles and the signs if you were coming the way the wind was blowing the snow last night? It's kind of stuck to things on one side. I like that. I said, look, Peggy, there's my message. 
And this is what I mean by it. These people that have joy, this consistency that comes from God, this grace of God, if you will, they're like those trees out there. They're standing there, and here comes life's worst. And it sticks to one side of them and freezes them for the moment, but they're not moved by it. They're amazed at how quickly something came at them in life. And, uh, and what they do is they just kind of stand there and they just turn up the joy. And they know that this isn't going to change me forever. This is temporal. It's external. And I'm just going to let the flow in the life of God that's in me melt that down. And pretty soon it'll be gone, but I won't be. You know people like that? They're like those trees. And the storm comes, but it doesn't change them. Are you like that? I know you question yourself, but I think most of us are. I think most of us who have Christ are that way. Life comes and, well, we might get caught off guard, but there's that moment we say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is temporal. This too will pass. This isn't going to last forever. It's when we let our minds go and think this isn't going to last forever that we get really discouraged. But we understand it's going to melt down. It's going to go away. It's not going to last forever. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. I would underline those words, am persuaded. That's a key piece here. Romans chapter 8, very similar, where Paul says, I am persuaded that neither height nor depth, life or death, none of these things can separate me from the love of God. Are we persuaded? Is it solid inside of us? Have we come to the resolution? Resolve that says, I am persuaded. It doesn't really matter overall what comes and goes. I know whom I believed. And he's able to hang on to me. He's able to keep my tree firmly planted. In Acts chapter 20, this is an amazing confession from Paul. He's called, he just got to Miletus and he calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come and meet with him on his journey. He's going by, but he doesn't have time to go to Ephesus to get talk to them. He calls the elders to come talk with him. I think they're on the beach. And he, he's sharing with them about ministry and things that are happening. But in verse 22, he gets down to this. He says, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. That my, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but this part I already know. Chains and tribulation are mine. Everywhere I go, the prophets tell me. The prayer meetings I'm in, the people I gather with, is a witness of the Spirit. Paul, do you know what's ahead? Yeah, chains and tribulation. That's what I know. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul understood grace probably better than any of us. Grace that's, that could look and say, yeah, my tree's in the forest and the storm is coming. That's all I know. 
But the grace that God has given me, I'm going to finish my race with joy. There are seven Greek words for joy. I just learned this. I'm not brilliant. I learn these things as I go. Seven Greek words in the New Testament for joy. Luke uses all seven of them in his gospel. The other gospels use two or three each, different ones. So there's this underlying tone in Luke's gospel. We call it the gospel of joy. And just in the first chapter alone, you know, you're, they got joy because John the Baptist is going to be born and rejoicing because Mary sings the great Magnificat song. And, you know, uh, my soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior for he who is mighty has done great things to me and holy is his name as she sings her song and refrained from very much like Hannah's song in Samuel. There's lots of joy going on just in the first couple of chapters. And uh, I was thinking, I was looking for the definition of joy in, in the Hebrew. And I found it, and it's in this Bible where Habakkuk writes what's called the hymn of faith. And everything around Habakkuk is going wrong. And I don't want to shift from Luke to Habakkuk real quick. I just want to take a quick trip there. Everything around him is bad. Society, culture, everything's terrible. He's like a prophet to a bad time. But at the end, he says this in 3, verse 17. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will be joyful in the God of my salvation The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. And in parentheses it says, For the choir director, this prayer is to be accompanied by stringed instruments. It's a prayer set to music in a disastrous time. And he says, hey, this time is not going to take away my joy. Now listen to the definition. Now we've often said joy is that kind of quiet, inner Strength, you know, happiness comes and goes, but joy comes and stays. And we think of it as quiet. The definition of joy in the Hebrew goes like this. To joy, rejoice, be glad, be joyful. It contains the suggestion of dancing for joy or leaping for joy. The verb originally meant to spin around with intense motion. I like to see that in a worship service sometime. <laughs> do you ever do it in your living room by yourself? Yeah, you do. You don't try this one in your shower, though. You worship and pray in the shower, but don't try this part. Spinning around intensely. You ever heard of the comedian Jeff Allen? Some of you have heard of him. I just watched the DVD by this guy. and He's pretty funny. But the second part of the DVD gives his testimony. He was so far from God and things were so bad that his wife grabbed the kids and left and said, I'm gone for three months. You figure it out, buddy. You're messed up. He was kept asking the question, why? Why do I go to work, make money, just come home to spend it? Why do I get healthy just to be sick again? He was on a trek looking for God, but he didn't know it. Why, why, why? Why is it like this? He says, you know, when you get why figured out, we might come home. But until then, <laughs> We're done. You're, you're miserable. 
we can't take it anymore. And somebody had given him a stack of Bible tapes over a year, and he just threw them and didn't listen to any of them. Gave him a Bible, he shoved it in the drawer. But he reached down and he said, ah, I might as well listen to some of these. His wife's gone, nobody's around. He, said, he puts in Ecclesiastes. Life is meaningless. And it begins to resonate with him. It's right where he was living. So he goes to the drawer and he gets the, this Bible out that's been in the junk drawer, he called it, for a year. You've got a junk drawer, you know what that is. Nothing ever comes out of there. It always goes in, but doesn't come out. It's in there. We know it's in there. Anyway, he pulls, that, he pulls it out and he, he finds, he says, I didn't even know what Ecclesia Holy was, was. You know, he finds it and he starts reading it and he goes, this is for real. He grabs his Bible. This is his own testimony. He runs out into his yard. Now imagine, my wife's left me, my kids are gone, my neighbors don't like me probably, but he's got his Bible and he's out in his yard like this, yelling at his neighbors, have you read this? This is good stuff! And when I saw him say that, I thought, now here's a guy that's starting to find some joy. It's about spinning around, it's about, hey, have you read this? Joy is more than an attitude. It's an outflowing of the inner life. It's a stability of person regardless of incident. It's also an abandonment of self-hope. What I mean is you quit hoping in yourself. You go, you know, abandon that. I don't have the ability to produce joy. I need a firm reliance on the one that's greater. He's where joy comes from. And we're looking for his return, and so we have hope that he's coming back. And in life, we persevere by faith. So we have hope, we have faith, and we know you could go to Corinthians, love, uh, faith, hope, and love, these three are the greatest is love. But I want to say this morning that I believe joy is the one virtue that holds the other virtues together as we're looking in hope for Christ to come back, as we're persevering through the tough times in faith and we're hanging on to what we know to be true, we need joy to guide those virtues. But to do this, we have to trade in the temporal. We have to quit trying to find simple little tiny fixes that make us happy. That's what the world's doing. They're, they don't know joy. They don't know Jesus. And so they, they try this and then they try that and they experiment all the way through their whole life. They're doing trying to fill the hole where Jesus is supposed to be. A little of this, a little of that. And it's temporary. You and I have to give up the temporary. We have to l- lose the short-term fixes of adding things to our lives. Isaiah 61.3 is a great verse. It says, make the great exchange. He's given us beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. These are permanent exchanges that God makes with us. Now, you and I are supposed to be like the angels. We're the announcers. We're the broadcasters. We're the... We're those that are supposed to be saying, hey, I've got good news. We're the guy in the front yard. Have you read this? So what does a good announcer do right before they go on the air? 
They review their script. They rehearse what they're going to do. They look at what they're about to, to be involved in so that they're ready. Because once the little thing goes on the air, comes on, and they go three, two, on you, and you got to be ready. So if you're going to be put on the spot this season about the joy that's in your life, let's rehearse a couple of things. One, how about Psalm 51.12, where we know David is writing after he had sinned and repented, and he says this to God, and you and I should do this, remember the joy of our salvation. David wrote it this way, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Why did he need joy restored? Because he had lived in sin and he'd broken fellowship with God. When you and I were living in sin and we came and made our peace through Jesus Christ and became friends with the Father again, he was restoring to us something that had never existed, joy. Permanent state of knowing and being at peace with God. We need to rehearse that in the green room before we go on the air. Hey, he gave me joy. He gave me peace. He gave me forgiveness. Do you remember when you got saved? Were you kind of like the guy running around in the front yard? Did you care what people thought? <laughs> it's only over the years you get a little intimidated. Well, you know, they better be a little more this or that. We need to restore the joy of our salvation. We need to return to our first love. I remember when I was so passionate about Jesus that nobody could stand me. Right? And I'd just look for a door. I'd kick them open if I had to. I didn't wait. You know, I would take any opportunity to share Jesus. I always refer to the checkout stand because that's where we go lots of times. We're in checkout places. And their little badge says, have a nice day or whatever. And if I don't say that, you get a free donut or whatever. And, and uh I like to get the checkout stand happy looking. Catch them off guard. I mean, they're just shoveling people through there. Ching, 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 scan, scan. How are you doing today? I like to be just grinning at them. I'm doing great. It gets their attention. It's like, well, why are you? Doing? What's with you? I said, Jesus forgave my sins, and I was talking to him this morning, and he loves you too. I would just bang. You know, I'm there for 30 seconds. I might as well do some good. I said, but nobody else in this line all day is going to cheer you up. Probably not even really going to say thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, paper. <laughs> no, plastic. <coughs> Affect people, but you need to restore the joy of your salvation, his salvation. The psalmist wrote, and uphold me with your generous spirit. The second thing we should rehearse is why did Jesus come? Why did he come? So some of the people in the world could be Christians. The rest could believe in Buddha or whatever. Jesus came on a mission. And the angels announced the mission. I'm bringing you glad tidings, good news, great joy. We rehearse the mission of Jesus. And remember that we read earlier, we believe that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Whereas the other Christmas song says, go tell it on the mountain. Hey, let's go tell it on our mountain. We're not responsible for Los Angeles. We're not responsible for Barstow or Temecula or San Diego. This is our mountain, right? And there are people coming here by the hundreds and thousands. We may not rub elbows with all of them, but we could do some good with our neighbors, I bet, if we'd go and tell it 
on the mountain. Let's stir ourselves up. Refamiliarize ourselves with these things, these two components, our faith and his mission. Return to our first love and delight in it. And then just slosh over on people. Spill on them. Infect them. Christina Georgina Rossetti said, wrote this. You've probably heard it. What can I give him? Poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. Give my heart. I would like to say that if I were the enemy of your soul and the enemy of your heart, what would I be doing this season? Have you thought about it? I'd be trying to work in every overtime on you to ruin your joy. That way you won't affect anybody. You'll be too busy and wrapped up inside your own junk. I'd throw anything I could at you to get you to observe something other than truth. I would try to make you believe that joy was only available if you had something that you don't have now. Do you know that advertising is designed to make you unhappy? If you're watching advertising just and you don't know why you're unhappy, there's the answer. It's designed to make you feel like you don't have something you need. So you'll go and get it. That's all it's about. If I can make you feel like you'd be better off with a certain kind of toothpaste, I'm going to try and convince you. Or, you know, a flat screen or plasma or whatever they're selling, they're going to make you feel like your house is not complete without this. And you go away thinking, I'm unhappy because I don't have it. The enemy will throw all this stuff at you constantly to divert your attention off the truth. The truth is, Galatians 5.22, that the fruit of the Spirit, that is the grace of God, a grace of God, His grace, you know, His, His bent, His personality, His being, His love, joy, and peace. And they're the others. But focusing on joy, I realize I don't have what I need to be a joyful person. It has to come from the grace of God. We've said this before, but you can't love your enemies without the grace of God. And yet we're required to do it. How do you have joy? Well, you invite the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in you. You invite the living Christ to be in your life and let him live out through you. Then it's his grace. Then it's his joy that is solid and permanent. So do you think in the midst of a recession and joblessness we can find joy? Yeah. Can we stand next to the hospital bed and have joy? Remember one time we were down with Jennifer and she was in a procedure. And you may remember this. Out in the hallway or in the waiting area, there was a, uh, I mean, it was an entourage of a Hispanic family. They had the rocking chairs out. You remember this? And we were out there, and I think we got some food or did something with them. And we didn't know them, but we're all kind of in the same boat. We're in the hallway outside of surgery. And this family was particularly happy. Uh, Grandma was there, the aunts and the brothers. I mean, everybody was there. It was a crowd. And there's no place to sit. It's just a hallway. They were stealing rocking chairs out of the maternity. Had them out there. <laughs> well, they all have they had little wagons and the kids were in them and everybody's cheery. And, and I thought, this is a pretty happy group. Uh, I'm going to go real easy to approach. So I just walked up, started talking to what looked like the dad. 
And uh, fortunately for me, he spoke better English than I spoke Spanish. I said, so what are you guys doing here? I said, oh, our, our uh, I think it was their daughter, their granddaughter. Well, it was granddaughter, daughter to all of them anyway, but she's like 11 years old, I think. And she was in for a procedure. We're here from out of the country. We're here on a special mission. The whole family is here. And our, this, I think her name was Jessica. And she's in surgery right now. I said, really? Well, what's the deal? And they said, well, she's been, had this issue in her life ever since she was born. And we've tried everything we know. And we're here on this special assignment to have this procedure done. And you know, the truth is, if this doesn't work, she'll die. I mean, right there in the hallway, those words. And I thought, you try and reconcile that. All this happiness and joy. And the prognosis is that scary. You come to find out they're believers. You got to dig deeper. How can you be happy in the hallway knowing that just on the other side of this wall, you're inches away from life or death? Because there's joy in knowing about eternity and the power of Jesus Christ. We didn't get to stay long enough to find out the answer to that one. But we know eternally the answer is in his hands. That was such an inspiration to me. You know, I thought, I'll be the pastor in the hallway. You know, I'll cheer him up. <laughs> They ministered to me. I thought, this is faith. This is joy. This is power. This is life in action. All these things, the answer is yes. Can we have joy in a recession? Can we have jobs? Can we have the struggle between Jesus and Santa Christmases? And what about if my family is unsaved? And Can I still have joy? Yes, I can have joy. You can have joy. Paul was in prison and wrote the, the epistle of Philippians. It's called the epistle of joy. <laughs> Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, they, they put me in here and they thought it was going to be hard for me, but it's turning out for really good stuff. I'm in prison and I'm happy. I mean, they have to chain a guard to me. We could never get to the Praetorian Guard to tell them about Jesus. But now they're chaining one to me every four hours. These guys can't go anywhere. And we're making inroads with the gospel inside Caesar's Palace here. We're not talking about Vegas either. Hebrews 12.2 is a great verse to keep in mind too. Where Jesus who for the joy uh set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? Because he had a joy out in front of him. The joy of you coming to know him. The joy of reconciling mankind to the Father. It was enough to move him to the cross and through the cross and through the grave and to resurrection. Joy. You know, Psalm, we read Psalm 98, it's very much like Psalm 96 in that it starts by saying, sing to the Lord a new song. Or, uh, did I say 68? I'm sorry. 98, 98, 98, 98, 96. Joy 
is demonstrative. You know, I need this probably as much as anybody. I don't want to be the Bahambug pastor anymore. Grumpy at Christmas, sing the Lord a new song. You've probably said this to somebody where you ask them, hey, are you happy? And they say, yeah, I'm happy. Why? I say, well, tell your face. <laughs> Have you ever done that to somebody? You know people like that? Hey, <laughs> hey, are you happy? Yeah, tell your face. Because your face isn't communicating that right now. <laughs> let's tell our faces. Get happy. Let's, let's apply the real definition of joy. Let's spin around a little. Let's run into the yard and ask somebody, have you read this? This is great stuff. I bring you glad tidings, good news, great joy, resident power of the Holy Spirit to live His grace through you. You can be joyful in the midst of the storm, slamming it on one side of your tree because you know in a moment you're going to melt it off. It's not going to last, but you are. Father, I pray that you'll put a song in our heart. Holy Spirit, we thank you that it's your grace that makes this possible. Lord, we try on our own and we come up short. We pray that you will overcome us by your presence. Take over where our weaknesses are. Shine through us the joy of the season. The permanent joy of knowing you. Lord, help us in those moments. Remind us, I pray in Jesus' name, that you will touch our minds and hearts in those moments when we have opportunity to put a smile on our face, to put the right kind of a enthusiasm into the moment, whether it's in the checkout or in a line or in a crowd or whether we're driving, waving at people. Lord, whatever it is, I pray that you'll check our spirit with yours and cause us to become influencers of those around us with this joy you've given us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joyful, joyful. Joyful, joyful. Go dance a little. <laughs>